All right, we are live on, I don't know, what day is it? Is it Thursday? It's Thursday. It Thursday the 27th, two weeks ahead of the trade deadline. Two weeks? Two weeks ahead of the trade deadline. Uh, I'm Seth Partnow. This is the Call and Shots podcast. I am uh, lucky enough today to be joined by uh, newsbreaker Jake Fisher of Bleacher, Bleacher Report to talk about the trade deadline. So, Jake, uh, thanks a lot for coming on. Thank you for having me, man. It's uh, you, you came on on my show a couple of weeks back, so happy to return the favor and happy to to be here on the call in platform. And I should also mention my uh, my brother in Triumph Publishing. Uh, yes, Jake Fisher. We can we can maybe we can talk about that. Talk about the experience of of the awfulness of of finishing a book and getting it out during a basketball season. But uh, maybe that's we'll see if we have time at the end. <laughs> um, so. It's it's trade season. You're reporting on a bunch of stuff. First of all, I want to like, do you think this is a busy trade season or is it we're just getting a lot of rumors hot and heavy because the last, you know, kind of the normal rumor season was much more uh, COVID hardship signing season than it was trade rumor season? Yeah, um, the, the, the COVID hardship stuff clearly hung over the league like a cloud for almost a month, honestly, from, you know, the week before Christmas, I think, till about a week and a half ago. Um, so it, it was a, like a, a, definitely a several-week stretch. And, that, I mean, I saw I'm, – I'm blanking off the top of my head just because it's been a hectic week, but someone went into COVID protocols even yesterday or today, right? Um, so, I mean, it, it, it fortunately seems to be like it's slowing down. But, um, yeah, the, the, the calls are heating up for sure. But we're, we're definitely still generally in like uh, a preliminary stretch where you know, most of the conversations I'm having around the league are about how things are still early and that it's mostly just calls about, oh, this is what we're looking to do. Who would you like on our team? This is who we like on your team, that type of stuff. There's been some, I mean, obviously a couple of trades have gone down, right? The three team deal with Denver. Boston and San Antonio, like there are there are frameworks being discussed. I, I got to confirm before I wrote it out today that the Smarter Smart, you know, Kevin Herter, Cameron's package that I don't know if there were picks involved or whatever, but that was at least the framework that uh, I heard about and got confirmed um, between Boston and Atlanta before, of course, they moved Reddish to New York. So I, I still think to answer your question about the overall impact of the moves at this deadline, you know, I, I'm, I get reminded all the time on the phone. People are very keen to point out how very rarely does um, a trade deadline really get super explosive with big name players. You, most of the time, those guys get moved in the off season. But you know, there's a scenario where all of Miles Turner, Demontis Sabonis, CJ McCollum, Jeremy Grant, John Collins all change teams, and to me that would register like a seven or an eight, right? But there's also a scenario where all those guys stand pat. The Jeremy Grant stuff with Detroit, you know, could they ultimately hold on to him just like they did last year? Same thing with the Pacers, as I know Caitlin Cooper knows very well. Like, they were just like the Magic these last couple years before the Magic actually pulled the trigger and moved Vucevic and Gordon Fournier last season. Like, maybe the Pacers – do the same thing and they move a bunch of these guys or maybe they only move one and they keep most of the rest. Same thing in Portland. Like who's to say how much they'll, they'll reshuffle their deck. John Collins in Atlanta, it, it would seem to be, um, you know, a bit perilous to move a guy like that without getting significant value back. What if that value doesn't really materialize for them? So I could see it going both ways. I, 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 my 
guess would be obviously that it would probably settle somewhere in the middle and be more of a, a slightly above average deadline, I would think. Okay. Well, that's, that, that's, that, I mean, for people who like to, you know, play the trend, the, the transaction game, that's slightly heartening. I was, I've been sort of thinking that we would see a, for a couple of different reasons, see a more locked up trade deadline than usual. First of all, it's kind of the, the biggest dominoes are, um, seems like, you know, Ben Simmons, Bradley Beal are question, are probably not, um, there's also, like we said, the, the, the everyone just being behind because so much of the so much of the normal kind of the middle school dance uh, aspect mm-hmm. you were describing earlier. It just, you know, the normal yeah. time we're doing that, it just didn't happen because we were signing guys off of, you know, that, at half court of G League games to, you know, <laughs> to come play that night um, for, for a little bit here. And, um, and the third one is I think we're still kind of sorting out the effects of the play-in game, right? The um, the having the having the play-in tournament now instead of there being you know fourteen teams that are going to miss the playoffs, and so that means that by this point in the season, there's maybe ten or twelve who are who are okay. This is not this is not our year. Now you know we have five teams that that are offend, that are if not mathematically sort of effectively eliminated from postseason contention. Now, a couple other teams might make some choices, like the Blazers, for example, um, to do so. But I think for all all three of those reasons sort of, to me, made it seem like the trade deadline might be more kind of – or the trade market might be more locked up than usual. Yeah, I think there's just a lot of teams that need to make some type of move for tax reasons, right? You've got the Clippers. You've got Portland. You've got Boston that come to mind immediately. And then you have other teams like Charlotte with P.J. Washington, for example, the Dallas stuff with Dorian Finney-Smith and Jalen Brunson, um, and a couple other situations um, that don't come right to the top of my head right now um, where there's going to be some juggling of contracts when payers – that's that's the ultimate uh, challenge when it comes to team building. Like Once you do a good job, it becomes very expensive, and the, and the calculus and the math gets more and more difficult – um, so, and you couple that with the fact that there's not going to be um, a lot of teams with, with cap space this summer. I, I think that's going to push some movement to be made for teams to go out and acquire guys that they might want to go get that they put it in an otherwise sign and trade scenario. Um, and I, I mean, yeah, I, 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 you're right. I do think like it's going to be closer to the average deadline than not. Um, but I, I, I still, I think there's a lot enough momentum with, you know, Washington has a big reason to go by to try to supplement Bradley Beal, New Orleans, um, you know, Charlotte's been on the lookout for big men. The Rockets are definitely motivated to sell. You could uh, have yeah. signed Rashawn Holmes. Oh, anyway. Yeah. Uh. yeah. So <laughs> that's, yeah, I, I, I just, I'm bullish. There's going to be some type of activity. I don't think we're going to be on our phones glued all day, pop, 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 trade, 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 trade. But there's definitely going to be, you know, I, I think if there's if there's under five trades, like I'll be shocked. Sure. And the funny thing is, we think it's a quiet deadline, and then it's like, was it uh, uh, 2017? It was. It was the uh, whichever year it was that, like, as we were approaching the deadline, like Woj tweeted out just dear God, as like when the, the year the Cavs basically remade their entire roster in about 17 minutes. 
um, yeah. after it seemed like nothing was actually happening. Um, so you've been sort of in the thick of reporting and you, you know, broke some news earlier this week about, you know, James Harden's uh, dissatisfaction with certain things in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. But I figure that, that you've, you know, been talking about stuff like that enough and kind of the big <laughs> names, you know, the Simmons, the Beal, the Harden, those big names that are, are probably good for engagement, but maybe not actually realistic to, to, yes. to see much movement. So um, assuming you, you're kind of talked out on those guys, what yeah. do you think are some of the more interesting scenarios to really dig into and, and uh, explore and, and, and might actually happen? Yeah. Um, well, I'll answer that. And then I'll come back to you with that Ben Simmons questions I had sure. for you. Um, I, I mean, Sacramento, I'm really curious because they have such a creative front office from, I mean, it's not just up top of mind, but there, there's a lot of smart people in that building. Um, a lot of people with connections around the league. Um, they've made a couple trades, you know, like quietly, you know, to acquire some guys in the past already. Um, you know, stem from the Daryl Morey tree of, of tinkering and, and making moves, even for the sake of making moves sometimes. And they've got an owner who's been applying ample amounts of pressure since the moment he bought that team to get the Kings back into the playoff picture. And they're obviously not there right now. So they could go a number of different directions too, being that, you know, I could see them buying and selling at the same time. I could see like the Tristan Thompson contract they would love to get off. Maybe Rashawn Holmes, like we mentioned, who hasn't really been available for them too, too much. Um, but like, what, like what if they can do some type of deal where they use Harrison Barnes and Buddy Heald to go get one of the Pacers bigs and then they swap out Rashawn Holmes for something else. And now it's a completely different lineup. Like I could see them doing something like that where it's like a mix and match, like a Mr. Po- Mr. Potato Head almost of, uh, you know, sw- keeping a big portion of who they are, but swapping out really key foundational pieces are, I mean, who's really a key foundational piece of a team like that? Not to besmirch anybody on the Kings, but you know what I'm saying? Like, like moving in Harris, moving out Harrison Barnes and Buddy Heald for some other guy who's going to play 30-ish minutes a night. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, you, you sort of touch on a thing, like people like to say that, that continuity uh, is sort of associated with, with victory. And that's true just from a, from a correlative sense, like teams that stay together tend to be, uh, tend to have higher winning percentages, but that's because the teams that stay together tend to have been good in the first place. And so, like you're saying, for a team like, you know, well, we can't gut this team. Well, what is this team? You know, it's the the, the Kings are in year or whatever of being disappointing. Um, you you do like some things about their foundation, but it hasn't really come together. Yeah. Certainly around the, the you know the Fox Halliburton backcourt. Um, but yeah, no, they're they're. I mean, they are an interesting one that could go either way, and I think kind of illustrating some of the odd dynamics, I think from a strictly team building perspective, they're probably would be better off to kind of strip down a little bit, but there's probably pressures from inside and outside of the front office to go the other way because you kind of feel like you have to. And so that, that makes for some very interesting dynamics um, as far as what actually gets done. Um, So specifically about them, like what, what do you think their appetite to because for me the the biggest name there like Harrison Barnes is certainly an interesting piece who could help a lot of contenders but the the really big piece there is De'Aaron Fox and if they're really in a position to or really at the point where 
they are willing to deal him in a deal that brings back something short of Ben Simmons. Yeah, I mean, he's their best theoretical piece, right, to get that type of guy. Um, but they're also in a precarious situation just overall, being that he has not taken the steps that, you know, obviously John Morant's done in Memphis or even Darius Garland in Cleveland. You know, that th- those are the types of players that he's being paid um, – like like he should be that 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 max type of salary and you know I've I've talked to I've started talking to a lot of executives in the league about um like, like conceptual ideas for for stories um post deadline because obviously with no trade deadline um to to generate conversations between teams uh there's not going to be too much going on for me to write about oh, the the buyout market it will be yeah. riveting. Yeah, but then then that dies out, you know, at a certain point too. There's still April and even May that I gotta figure out stuff for. So, you know, I I've just been kicking around general ideas, and one of them that I that I have been talking about, not to, to this is a story topic, but just just a thing that could maybe spark an idea, is you know the league is obviously so clearly in such a superstar or bust mold of, uh, of, ta- of team building pretty largely across the, the contending sphere of the league. Um, I mean, that's a big, I think um, it's a chicken and an egg type aspect of the tanking era, not to be a shill that, you know, I, I talked about in my book being that like to win a championship, it's so clear, as, as you know, Seth, like the data is, is suggest backs it up that you got to have multiple all-stars on your team pretty much. It's like, been the try and true formula dating back to the Celtics of the fifties and sixties, you know? Um, so. And, think, and not just all-stars, but like, you know, cause he, that, that sort of flattens the difference between Nikola Vucevic and Anthony Davis or yes, Joel Embiid. Yes. And so it's like, you need, you need not just all-stars, but all NBA players. You need superstars. Yes. And also Correct. all-stars around them. Correct. So like it's with that being kind of, fully laid bare and being such the like the goal of the strategy across the league right now it's put so many teams like Brooklyn with this Kevin Durant Kyrie Irving James Harden trio where the future of their franchise is very much in the, the, the fate of those guys hands for better and for worse right like you've got those three guys if all is well and Kyrie is active for both sides of home and away games and KD's healthy, like that team is still probably the favorite in the Eastern Conference. But then, you know, they're also beholden to those guys and all their decision-making. Same thing with LA. I mean, the reporting's out there. LeBron and AD were literally interviewing guys to be their third star this year at LeBron's house, right, with talking to DeMar and talking to Russ and bringing in Dame. Like with De'Aaron, to bring us back to De'Aaron Fox, if you're the Kings, like I understand why – there's the the proverbial, well, they had to pay him that contract. They had to give him that money because he's an all-star caliber talent. And I think any talent evaluator in the league would agree that he's got the physical tools to be a legitimate stud in the NBA. But he's never refined the skill set to be an efficient, effective winning player at this stage of his career. Um, and if it hasn't happened now, the likelihood is it's not going to happen. And now you're stuck in this contract, which and I'm not saying that's how the Kings feel. I still think, I mean, talking to Kings people when they fired Luke Walton, there was definitely a, a thought and a hope that Alvin Gentry could kind of turbocharge him and get him back going in the right direction. And he obviously does have his nights where 
he puts up, you know, 40 or, you know, the high scoring in the 20s and the 30s and he's hitting shots closing and he's the guy. But um, I definitely, all this to wrap it up is to say, I definitely think the Kings, as much as they're communicating that those guys are off the table, if that right player were to become available, I don't think it's Sabonis or Turner or Jeremy Grant. Like, I don't think it's those types of guys. But to go get Ben, I mean, it's been made very clear to me from the get-go that um, De'Aaron Fox, not the get-go, but I'll say the get-go of this trade season. Like, Philly has told other teams, when other teams have asked Philly, can could the third um, – could the third t- pl- team that we go get a player to satisfy your your, your your wishes with, could it be De'Aaron Fox? And Philly has told those teams, like Minnesota and Indiana um, and Atlanta, like we could just go get him ourselves. So I don't really think he's off the table. I think that's kind of what the Kings have communicated, being that they now seem that it's unlikely that they're going to get Ben this year. Let's uh, let's let's put a pin in that and and come back to it. We got uh, uh, Daniel's been waiting very patiently to ask a question. So uh, uh, yeah, let's... I can't shut up. <laughs> well, th- sure, but uh, you know, that the far you're far from the only one. Uh, <laughs> Daniel, what uh, what's up? Hey, Seth. Uh, thanks for um, letting me on. So my question is. Um, I guess it's sort of a two-part question, but I, I I can make it quick. So when thinking about, you know, a possible Ben Simmons trade, um, an argument that I see ha- that happens a lot is sort of people saying, well, you know, we've seen the limitations, like he's going to flop and fall apart emotionally in the playoffs again, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I fall more, I think, where you fall. I know you've mentioned that, there are certain sort of Jalen Brown for Ben Simmons um, formulations that theoretically could make sense for both sides. So my my question, though, is um, less about like the mechanics of a specific trade because it seems unlikely and more about, um, you know, mentality aside, if let's just pretend Ben Simmons was content to play exactly like Bruce Brown or Gary Payton the second with even less shooting. But if he was just like, if he was like fully on board with, I'm going to run constantly in transition. I'm going to play the best defense I can. I'm going to rebound like a maniac. I'm going to be constantly cutting, setting picks, resetting picks. Like, is that player type possible to reach all-star or even like true star level? Because when I watched the Warriors or even, you know, the better version of the Nets last year, those players seem to be, like, way more valuable than their skill sets in a vacuum would suggest. And I'm wondering if that sort of player type is possible to scale up, or if it's kind of, or if you think it's sort of inherently, like, a two-way, a two-way athletic guard, if, if that makes sense. Sure. Well, that's, that's a really great question because it's kind of like, like how high can you go up sort of the pyramid of, of NBA stardom without breaking out of that, that, you know, you're really talking about kind of the role player box, right? Yeah. Um, and it's a great question. I think that in the past, the players we've seen break out of that have been kind of the, 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 the defensive superstar bigs um, and, and, you know, at times it's it's almost to their own detriment they've chafed against that. Like, if if Dwight Howard a decade ago had been had been content to be 
you know, almost the, the, the A plus version of what Rudy Gobert is now, like Orlando, that Orlando team probably stays together and probably wins the title. But because he was like, he, at least, you know, from a, a perception standpoint, that wasn't enough of, of stardom and, you know, perhaps commentators in his ear about, you know, wanting to get post touches and stuff like that, that wasn't sufficient. So all that's to say that, you know, even though Ben Simmons isn't that kind of rim protection dive and dunk guy, I think he has possibly the skill set to be a uh, defensive, you know, all NBA level superstar who contributes mightily on offense as well. Uh, in, in, you know, a different, this is, this is the, the, uh, this is the thing about Ben Simmons all the time is he's an, you know, a, from a skill set standpoint, he's an oddly shaped player. So if he's going to be a superstar, it's going to be in an unusual way. But I do think that that's an archetype that, that specifically like Simmons could potentially hit. Now the caveat there is, uh, that has to be with a, a, a team that's built to take kind of, um, that's built to to maximize a an odd player and a coach who's creative enough to put them in the best spots. And those, you know, to this point in his career, he hasn't really been in either situation. Um, and and so that's that's certainly one thing to to take in mind. I think you know one of the more the interesting ideas for 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 Simmons. And I we're already talking about Simmons more than I kind of wanted to, but uh, one of the it was it was Atlanta and and you know okay that, that from the roster fit it's like okay there's some interesting things there, but then for all for all that Nate McMillan does well as a coach, he's not at the forefront of offensive creativity in the NBA today, and so then you get right back in the problem of okay well Trey Young has the ball, nobody guards Ben Simmons and our offense bogs down, so how does that work? So. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting point because, you know, I talked about that with a couple people this week in, in trying to figure out, like, the situation with Atlanta and then being that obviously he'd be playing with Trey Young. And Trey Young's ball dominance has been a pretty key ingredient to everything that's going down in Atlanta for good and for bad, right? Um, and I think, you know, it's also interesting to note that when Minnesota was looking into Ben Simmons, um, when it, when Indiana was, because um, they I mean, and they obviously wanted to, I mean they they couldn't move Malcolm Brogdon in any of these conversations with them. Um, when when Cleveland has made those calls, all those teams, I mean even Sacramento to a certain extent, and having, I mean at least one of Tyrese Halliburton, De'Aaron Fox, and Davion Mitchell would be would would still be in Sacramento if Ben came around. Um, I, I think it's interesting. All those teams have really been talking about him as kind of like a playmaking forward and not really as a point guard. Um, so I don't know if that's a data point that's coming directly from his camp and they're communicating that to these teams that he's open to doing that and not um, just because before, like back in the 2016 draft, I remember the intel was like Ben Simmons is a point guard, Ben Simmons is a point guard, Ben Simmons is a point guard. When like he had to be introduced during starting lineups in Philadelphia as a point guard, it was very important to him to be listed at that in the starting lineup. And then when Brett Brown eventually swapped into the four, quote unquote, when they were trying to work that out um, in the bubble, or they were starting up in the bubble, that was like a whole shift um, that like 
it seemed to be a Brett, if it, if it worked and Brett Brown had stayed, like he was at least kind of open to it then too. So I'd be, I'm curious to see if the next time we see Ben Simmons on an NBA court, if it would be more of like a Blake Griffin Clippers type of scenario where Blake wasn't obviously the main ball handler there alongside Chris Paul, but he would rip it off the rim and, and, and get it out in transition and make plays in the open court. And that's something I think would potentially really benefit Ben Simmons in that type of capacity. I do wonder, and thanks for thanks for the call, Daniel. And we'll uh, we'll, we'll take uh, we'll, we'll talk to Jack next. But I, to finish up on this, I do wonder if, like, in the time between when he was drafted and now, the fact that sort of point guard duties have been recognized to be dispersed more widely across you know, positions like, yeah. you know, there are people who are make the, who make the argument that Draymond Green plays point guard for the Warriors. Yeah. So like, you can, you can call me a power forward, but I'm, I'm a point power forward and that's a thing now. LeBron maybe that, the Lakers. Yeah. Maybe. So maybe that kind of satisfies that itch. And this is, this is also a good point is, is that, you know, as the acquiring team, you know, we're looking at this kind of stuff from the outside, these are things you take into account before you make the trade. Yeah. Um, and not that anyone would have, you know, illicit contact with an agent to communicate <laughs> these things or anything like that, but we have ways of finding happen. out, you know, as, as, <laughs> as they say in the old, in the old war movies, we have ways. It's, it's, this, this, this can happen. Wait, so I, I think that I that's, my, oh, sorry, I thought you were done. no, go ahead. Can I ask you my Ben analytics question? Uh, yeah, well ask me that and then we'll get to Jake or Jack. Okay. Sorry. So, Part of reporting, I feel like, is taking what people who are directly involved in the situation tell you and ch- and checking it, right? If your mother says she loves you, check the facts. So Philly people have been adamant all along that, like, literally, they're only looking for a package in return that would increase their championship odds. Do you, do you believe that it's, like, literally comes down to a calculator like that? like that they wouldn't do, they wouldn't make a move that would drop them below their current present odds with a healthy Ben Simmons. So I think that I, I think you're, you're close to having it right. And um, this is, you know, I haven't, I haven't talked to Daryl about this, but I think I, I, I think I understand his mindset on this. Um, I think he's he's talked about if you have a 5% chance of being a championship, you're all in. Yeah. I think that right now, you look at that Philly's at Philly's roster, and as good as Joel Embiid is, you don't really think they have that chance. So I don't think that they're going to make a move that doesn't push them above that threshold. And that's you know it's a, not a it's not a it, you, it's not a calculator necessarily. It's you kind of there's a little bit of uh, yeah of you I know stick your, yeah, yeah yeah but no but you but they are like you know the 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 commentary has been you don't want to waste a year of of Embiid's prime. Well, trading for CJ McCollum doesn't like how does that not like does that does that materially change the situation? I don't think so. So it's like if that's the baseline move, then it makes perfect sense to me that they're willing to hold and do nothing because you had a sub five percent chance before and you have a sub five percent chance after. So why bother? Because if that's your big move, then you think you there's some more opportunities you might have in the off season to do different moves because you know roster restrictions relax and more players are available and, 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 you know, teams are just, are, are just willing to make bigger shakeups in the off season. So yeah, no, that makes perfect sense to me. Why, you know, it's a, the threshold of, of, 
it's not even necessarily make them better. It's make them enough better that they yeah. are at real contender status. And he, and I think the shorthand for that has been, we need a top 25 player. We need a top 40 player. I do think that if it was a package of guys who collectively lifted them up kind of above that imaginary line, they would do that too. It's just easiest to talk about it as we need to add a star because that's, that's kind of shorthand for that. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I mean, yeah, that, that 5% rhetoric he's talked about has definitely been out there. Um, I just, I've been very curious if there's, if there's more specifics to what that means, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. and what they said. So yeah, I'm just curious to run about No, it. and it's, it's also, I mean, the, the, the calculus is also, I mean, I think that teams, this is, this is something that I don't think is always understood when we're talking about roster moves for like the, these, the, like the top teams is your, your calculus isn't like, okay, this, this guy will help us win three more regular season games. Okay, that's fine. We're going to make the playoffs. We're going to be dangerous to win around. I'm caring about guys who, what does this guy look like in the second round or later of the playoffs? And that's like the only, you know, this is the, the Draymond Green, like 82 and 16. And that's, the, that's like the only thing that matters if I'm, if I'm thinking about winning a championship. Now, maybe there's guys you can add on the margins that, okay, well, if we get this guy, then we can play Embiid like three, three or four minutes less a game. And then that helps us down the road because he's, you know, he's a little bit fresher and we've kind of reduced the kind of the baseline per minute chance of an injury like just by having less minutes. There's, there's less chances for him to step on somebody's foot or something. Um, so there's, but it, but it is, you know, that that's the lens through which you're you're looking through it rather than just kind of the, uh, the trade machine plus four wins or whatever. Yeah. I mean, that makes, that makes a ton of sense for yeah. sure. Um, but yeah, to wrap it all up, don't think it's happening anytime soon. <laughs> all right, Jack, uh, what, what can we, uh, what can we answer for you? Hey guys, how you doing? Great. Um, I've got a Kings question. A lot of Kings talk today, which is interesting, but um, it's sort of <laughs> just more specifically about Holmes. Um, I'm a massive Holmes fan. I've loved him since Philly. But For Sean, God, I, yeah. I, I, I was thinking about like buying houses, property taxes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, it seems like there's just not really a heap of interest in him. Like there was a lot of talk about the Hornets and maybe Toronto in the off season going after him. He ended up signing like, I mean, it's, it was what, like 800,000 more than the MLE? Like, it wasn't, it was whatever the max the Kings could offer, but it wasn't much. Um, do you think there's a reason why it doesn't seem like there's many teams that are going to go in for him? I think he would make basically anyone better, unless you have one of the, you know, those three or four, like, absolute all NBA kind of centers on the roster already. And he's a good contract for four years. Um, do you think. They'll be interested in him at the at the deadline, or, or do you think Sacramento is just going to hold on to him? I, well, I'm just sick of watching the Kings. Basically, I'd yeah, like to well, see him somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll spend I'll, I'll spin it back on you and say, like, like, why would you want you you just sold me a pretty complimentary player, right? Why, why yeah. would why 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 are the what are the reasons why the Kings are willing to part with that? You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe if they were owned by someone else, they'd be all right with getting it worse, <laughs> but. I, I think you could. I think he's worth yeah. something good in terms of what you'd get for a return. 
I don't know if it is actually out there. It's more like, why isn't that trade out there, if that makes sense? Like, why isn't a team like the Hornets or Toronto, who have just an enormous hole at centre, like looking to bring someone like Holmes in? Mm -hmm. Well, I'll say, I mean, Toronto and Charlotte definitely had contact with Rashawn's people throughout free agency last year. Um, So that's definitely a thing. Um, But, I mean, he hasn't been healthy really this season, right? Um, mm. He has a, I mean, injuries have kind of been a bit of an issue for him throughout his career. He's only had one season. I was just talking with someone about this the other day, someone who was very familiar with Rashawn, um, let's say. He's only really had one season where he's played a, a, a key stretch of that year. I mean, it was, la- it was um, as a starter. It, it was last year. Oh, yeah, it was last year in a shortened season um, yeah. when um, – um, you know, he was in a contract year, right? So I think you know, the contract, you're right, is is a good value deal. I, I, I what Seth thought about it in terms of a, an analytical standpoint, but um, I, I I just don't think you know right now his name is probably not popping up as much because he's probably in between like the Miles Turners of the world and the Daniel Tyses of the world, where like what I'm hearing from teams is the asking price for the, the Pacers bigs are, are are way too high. So they're yeah. looking at all their cheap backup options in case they can either not meet that deal or someone else does. And Rashawn's probably somewhere in the middle. I'm sure he's getting looked at, but the other names that are popping up right now are they seem to be the ones that are that are more willingly like just on the table, you know? Mm. Yeah. So I'll say that like something Danny LaRue says all the time is years, not dollars. <laughs> yeah. Like it's a it's a it's it is a good contract and right but rightly or wrongly team say oh he's got three extra years after this one it's like well if it's yeah. a good contract it's a good contract but yeah, he has 28 that's a positive yeah but but he is 28 and i do think that that you know um it's it, it like future optionality is one of those things that gets frequently mis misweighed mm-hmm. either it's over or undervalued and i think in this like someone like Holmes, like the fact he's got three more years is like has a way of, of almost depressing his value more than it should, given that, you know, we're so used to talking about three more years on like a bad contract, like, Oh, De'Aaron Fox is owed how much. Um, but if it's like, you know, he's owed, it was like 31 million in total 32 over the next yeah. three season. Like, yeah. that's like, okay, that's the, the, you don't feel terrible about that. So it's, it's, uh, it's probably being perceived as more of a negative than it should be. But I think that that is something that is like the, the, that reduction and that uh, perceived reduction in future flexibility is probably playing into team's thoughts, especially if they're, as Jake was saying, if they're kind of looking for more kind of the backup or 20 minute a game kind of guy, Mm. like those aren't, those aren't necessarily guys like, I agree with this, that if, if you're looking at a guy on that level, that's not a player you want really signed for four years. I think if we look around the league and a lot of the contracts that sort of become, I don't want to say albatrosses, but sort of that, that not quite and not quite dead money, but at least bad money are mm. the role player getting, you know, four years for mid MLE money. Yeah. It's because all of a sudden, okay, if he's a seventh man and he becomes a ninth man, mm. oops, you know, if 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 your fourth best starter becomes your seventh man, like yeah, okay, we're, he's overpaid, but at least he's 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 doing something. Yeah. But a guy who is you know at that next level lower, if he drops off a little bit, then he's no longer in your rotation, and then he, then it's just like a brick on your cap sheet. 
And do you yeah. see Holmes as that kind of level of player? I would say he's on. I'd like to see him on a team where he's the fourth best starter on an actual good team. No, I. You but I, I, mean? I. Yeah, I, I think I think he is in that. As Jake said, he is in that weird in between place, in that he's not yeah. an elite. He's not an elite setter in the NBA. Um, but he's not. But and so he's kind of being looked at on this sort of backup kind of. Spot not spot starter, but you know the 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 like a, sp- a starter who never goes much more than twenty five minutes a game because you're mm-hmm. gonna you're gonna play small more often or something like that. So he that puts him more in that like sixth or seventh spot in a rotation rather than yeah. than higher than that. And you know I, I I think for a team like Charlotte he would be more than that. Yeah, but so. but how much should that drive their decision making that for us he would be better well that doesn't mean we should pay like for us prices we should pay the league prices yeah and then so i mean i like again not knowing any about what any of that discussion might be like that's a disconnect it's like well he would be so good for you so you should throw in an extra second like a an extra like late first round pick it's like no <laughs> and and that's kind of how these these negotiations might go is yeah, and then yeah, and, then we'll see who blinks kind of in, in you know, nine or 10 days from now. I I would love for them to go after him just so I get to watch him play with Lamelo instead of the Kings. But <laughs> it's um, like, oh, that would be such a fun pairing, I think. In people, right. you know, he's one of, he's probably, he's been a top five pick and roll player the last like three years in terms no, of like points per possession. He's so good. He's, um, I mean, he's one of the, like that, that little, that little, like one hand flip push yeah. shot is not push actually shot. a great yeah. shot. Like, for how a lot many of other centers can shoot yeah. like 13 foot floaters and hit like 59% on yeah. them? <laughs> it's absurd. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, it's a really why, good question, though. Yeah. I think that's why the Kings also brought him back at that deal. Like, they do value that type of production. And, well, they, yeah. they offered him the most they possibly could. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so, exactly. Uh, and I was just, I was just surprised I, I, he, he stuck there of, because I thought, Considering ten was the most they could offer, that someone might go, might take him if that makes sense, think, without I having think, to pay up twenty million like you normally do to get a yeah, guy away. I think everyone, everyone is uh, surprised that he that that not everyone, but I think league wide, there's there's a fair amount of surprise that he was still in Sacramento, not in Charlotte, just because that yeah. was that was so such an such obvious, an obvious yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, if you get, if, if you have a chance to get Plumley, you got to take it. You know, anytime you can, you know, anytime you can add a Plumley. If for um, no other reason than to make Nate Duncan cry. <laughs> uh, so this is so as a tangent, it's funny. The uh, one of the first big arguments Nate and I ever had was if you remember way back, how it was the 2014 World Cup team. Uh, they the Team USA kept Mason Plumley over Paul Millsap, and I lost my mind. And Nate was kind of defending. Uh, that 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 choice, and so um, you know, it, it's just, it's just funny where 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 thoughts on players have gone since then. Yeah. Um, anyway, thanks for thanks for the call, uh, the question. No, um, thank you. If I I actually want to stick on the Kings for one more second because I said we were we would come back to it. Um, this is sort of a dy- there's a dynamic which we may have seen with the Kings before, and I wonder if that's at play with the Fox Simmons idea. Uh, you remember when when they decided they were going to trade, uh, or management wanted to trade Boogie Cousins, yeah. and it was sort of it happened during the All Star game because that's when that's the time frame in in which Vivek said yes, and you had to get the deal done before he changed his mind. Yep. I sort of wonder if there's a little bit of that going on where 
yeah, no, we'll do this. Like, you know, Daryl Morey and Monty McNair have worked closely together for a long time. And, and it's, I, I can easily see them working out a mutually beneficial deal where the stumbling block is selling ownership, uh, selling, you know, I don't think Daryl's going to have any problem selling selling Philly ownership on stuff, but selling King's ownership to say yes to take you know to to take yes for an answer, and so that's maybe some of the messaging that's come out about you know we can do a deal with Sacramento if you know if if the guy who owns who signs the checks would just say yes in parentheticals yeah. is that I mean am I am I being too conspiratorial or is that is that a a dynamic you think might be at play? Vivek's definitely involved, right? Um, but I, I think that might be a little putting the cart in front of the horse in terms of uh, conspiracy, conspiracy, yeah, because I think the Tobias stuff, I'm not so sure that Philly would just, like, make the deal just to get off the bias, right? Like, they're, lo- they're truly looking at Ben Simmons as their chip to get that guy who can go help Joel B get a championship. I don't th- – and as much as they're getting messaging that James Harden, you know, is willing to come, like there's no guarantee he comes. There's no guarantee Bradley Beal becomes available. There's no guarantee that Jalen Brown becomes available. But there's they're hoping that someone will. And they don't want to be left with, um, you know, an empty bag having already moved Ben Simmons or move, or they don't, they want to be able to make sure that they move him for a package that could still go get that guy. That's why we're seeing right. like these Tyrese Halliburton and three first round pick frameworks come out that Philly is telling the other, these other teams, same with Atlanta, you know, that, that deal that um, the athletic had on Monday, I forget the specific terms, but it was like Collins and, um, um, and Gallinari and Bondanovich and like multiple for like, like those are what Philly is trying to get back because they want to still have enough pieces to then go get one of those guys. Um, I, I just, um, I, I think that the Vivek of it all in Sacramento side of things is that he's, he definitely wants them to go out and get somebody, but I don't, I think it's probably more of a, will he, won't he in terms of how much they care about the Aaron. Um, than anybody really coming in to that tax sheet, if that makes sense. No, sure, I, I, that, that that makes sense. Um, I, I do. I mean, it's it, like some of the ideas that that have been floated around that, like if they, it's if it's if the package for they get back for Simmons is like Fox and Barnes and Heald for like Simmons and Harris, like that to me, that makes Philadelphia substantially better on the court. Now, financially, it, it probably, like you say, that, that that that's them having shot their shot. But you know, you're gonna have to do it sooner or later, and and it's sort of balancing, you know, whether okay, is Beal going to be available this summer? Is that a better idea than doing a sign and trade for Harden to pay him, you know, a, b- a billion dollars into his late thirties? Like those are, like, I don't, I I I can easily come down on the side of of getting, you know, Fox and hoping that that like in a, in a more competitive environment that brings some more out of him. Plus you're getting Barnes who's quite good. And I think will be a very useful playoff player. Um, you know, just can't have enough big wings right now. And, you know, another, another shoot, another really, you know, dead eye shooter. You I mean, you think just thinking about Philly on the court, like you, you know, Seth Curry is, 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 you know, one of the elite floor spaces in the league. 
if you can get away with it defensively, being able to put Heald and Seth Curry around Joel Embiid, like that's a little bit of how do you guard that? So anyway, I'm 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 talking myself into a deal that I have no involvement in. So anyway, <laughs> um, before I think we want to get to, we definitely want to get to the McCollum to uh, New Orleans idea, just because uh, I was asked about that on Twitter before we started. But uh, Tyson's been waiting, and let's let's uh, uh, see if see if he has a if he has a fake trade to throw up against the wall. <laughs> hey guys, how's it going? Great. Hey Tyson. So- I don't have a trade per se. Well, I have two actually equally interesting topics. So I'll let you guys choose which one you want to go for. One is the potential ramifications of a uh, Robin Lopez buyout and how that could shake the league. Or uh, just because you guys <laughs> might be more plugged in, you know, like you're already about to talk about it. What's going on with the Blazers? Seems like they got a lot of guys, another new injury. To see if you oh, I, I, I don't know oh. if a Robin Lopez buyout would shake the league. Well, I mean, there would be no, lo, there would be no, no more Lopi at uh, at at Disney World, which would yeah. be, you know, which would be tragic given that their their love for everything of the mouse. Um, so I think that that would be. I do think we would have to have a Chiron for that. But yeah, uh, <laughs> what what are your thoughts on on what the Blazers are, are looking to do? Um. I think, you know, they're very similar to Sacramento in that they could go a number of different directions all at the same time. Their situation seems to be a lot more uh, clear in that, I mean, especially with the necessary little injury, like, can't imagine that they're going to be making major moves to be upgrading in the now. Um, it would just see, I mean, they, they won a couple games of late, and I wrote about it today that a couple teams I talked to were definitely starting to prepare for the Blazers to be buyers here. You know, they just got CJ back healthy. Who's to say that if they kept making a bit of a run up that plan standings, um, would Dame come back after this abdominal surgery? But with little out, I mean, it's going to be surprising, I think, if they continue to make that momentum. I mean, especially being that they got to get under the tax. That's what everyone keeps saying. Um, so there's at least one move of a sell type situation that I think is out there. To bring it back to CJ. I mean, just the Simon's explosion of Lee is ahead of his contract year. I mean, are you going to end up? There's no way they're going to end up paying all of Dean, Simon, CJ McCollum, and Norman Powell all that money. They're just not. Three small, bad defensive guards that you're paying like twenty million plus. That doesn't seem like a. That doesn't seem like a great bit of salary cap allocation. No. Yeah. So I mean, I, I think a lot of the stuff is still half baked, and we're very early and. All these situations are interconnected, right? I mean, every single team we talked about, you know, the Kings, the Pacers, the the Hawks, the um, um, the Trailblazers, the Pelicans, like they're all kind of interconnected looking at the same guys on each team. Like I've even heard the Pelicans would have interest in Darren Fox, you know? So um, it's kind of like a game of musical chairs and they all can't go to the same spot. But I, I definitely expect – Portland to do something, and, and and CJ does seem to be the name that is the most expendable, I guess, in terms of just you, you could see this this sw- swapping assignments for him seems to make a lot of sense. And you know, McCollum's been talked about having a bad deal for so long, and he is he is overpaid. But it's like at this point, it's been like it's been there for so long that there's only like a it's only two years left, so it's not it's not as onerous as you know we talked about homes years, not dollars, like. It's a little easier to talk yourself into a couple years of pain than it would be, you know, four years and 
is four years and nine figures. Um, yeah. I did, the, just on the Blazers, it, it, we have an example of a team being kind of where they are, the Blazers are now, and deciding to go the other way and benefit massively from that. And I think it's the Raptors last year. Like you've got, yeah. you've, 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 you know, I'm not, I, I don't want to, I'm not a draft guy, but it does seem like there's some pretty interesting guys at the top of this year's draft. Um, and okay, you've got Dame coming back, you know, in, in the uh, European soccer context, uh, a star coming back from an injury. So he would be described as it's a whole new signing. Uh, so you've got, you think you, you have Dame and, you know, a, a high lottery pick next year coming back in addition to whatever you can trade for this year. Like that seems like a, just a massively better way to go than to chase like, hey, we might get a home play-in game. And even if, and then we win, we get, you know, windshielded by, you know, the Suns or something like that. Like, I, I don't know. That doesn't, it doesn't seem like that's a, the Blazers don't seem like the kind of organization that that would be much of an inducement for, put it that way. Yeah. And their ultimate goal, right, is to try to keep Damian Lillard satisfied there in a winning environment. And there's clear evidence to suggest that that that, that Toronto model, people call it the Warriors model, but the Warriors didn't have a one-year tank. Like, they were very bad at one year. And then last year, they, they made a run with the playoffs. Like, Obviously, they, they fell apart in the playing tournament against the Lakers, but um, I mean that was a team that I mean they're, they they finished like fifteen and four or something like that in the regular season and, and really showed what was going to happen. Um, I think in, or, or, or pre- predicted kind of how they were going to start off this season like gangbusters. So the Raptors definitely are the more um, topical comparison, I would say. And if you can get that Scotty ball, like imagine adding that type of player, imagine adding Jabari Smith, Paolo Banchero. I'm not a big Chet Holmgren fan, but even someone, you know, like Johnny Davis, I, I know they have so many guards, but, um, you know, I, I, there's just, the, the, there's a clear benefit to them adding one of those top tier type of guys Then could even be a bridge on for the Damian Lillard era, which, um, it's something that they have to start thinking about eventually too. No, I, I, you know, I completely agree with you, uh, uh, Patrick. Um, you got a question for for Jake? I think we'll go for probably about ten more minutes here, and then uh, let let Jake get out of here so he can uh, he can learn more about who's ending up where. But uh, <laughs> I'm actually going to go play pickup tonight. Ooh, after we do this. There you go. Um, yeah, I was actually the one on Twitter who asked about the CJ and New okay. Orleans thing. Um, and I, I think it's just thought it was interesting because it seems like two similarly positioned teams that, you know, are fighting for theoretically the same uh, play in spots. But it just seems like also what you just said about De'Aaron Fox, that New Orleans might have the most sense of urgency out of those um, kind of looking at the play in type of teams, maybe Sacramento as well. But um, yeah, I just thought it was. How much like urgency you are feeling from you know the Pelicans front office to try and make a run even with the uncertainty of this whole Zion situation? No, I think that's I think it's pretty astute because yeah, like you know, um, what ha- like management sometimes has different incentives than like kind of the organization would if you treat it as sort of like a single living entity and compare Portland oh, yeah. where. They changed GMs in part because 
they got that they maybe were sold a little bit of a bill of goods for a team that's basically chasing the the sixth seed and not much more than that. So I don't think I don't think that there's a ton of pressure on. Tell me if you disagree with this, Jake. I don't think there's a ton of pressure on on you know current management or interim management to make a run to the you know no. to the to the ninth seed. Whereas New Orleans, um, despite their injuries, there is I think a great deal of freshness and and, and oh yeah um, and you know that's. Uh, it's 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 something like if a guy if if the GM is GMing for his job, it's probably already too late because that's where some of the worst moves tend to to arise. And in you know maybe putting it less pejoratively, yeah, there's a lot more incentive for New Orleans to try to get better now, regardless than there is for Portland. I would agree. I, I don't want to say anyone's desperate, but. I think in terms of the teams that are like most anxious to get a significant deal done, I would of those three, I'd rank them New Orleans being the most you know, aggressive and trying to get something now, then Sacramento, then Portland. That's how I'd that's how I'd rank it. So what I mean, just you know, crystal balling, what is a what does a what's coming back to Portland for CJ McCollum? In a in a that makes sense in a uh, McCollum to New Orleans. I think the only way this also even gets done is if Portland does decide to pull this plug and and, and become a true seller, right? That's that's the first thing that that, that needs to be clear. Um, I mean, I'm sure that the Blazers would prefer, like I wrote today, something with Josh Hart and Jonas Valanciunas. But you know, by all accounts, Valanciunas is someone the Pelicans have really enjoyed having there. He's been such a great fit as compared to what Stephen Adams was last season, obviously. And we haven't seen it with Zion Williamson yet, but, I mean, the shooting's been a pretty big revelation. Um, and he's he's always – I mean, he's been a favorite of every franchise that he's been with. Um, so I don't see, I don't think they're eager to get rid of him. I think the, the, the Pelican side of things would probably – they'd be more interested, I would imagine, in something with Hart and Sadoransky and Jackson Hayes, like I wrote today. Maybe they'd probably have to attach a pick in that regard, but everyone knows they've got a ton of picks to spend, and if you're an executive wondering about his future in that seat, like you alluded to, Seth, that would seem to make first-round picks more available to be used than not. Yeah, no, that, I mean, just just thinking about how, how McCollum's contract has been talked about, the, the idea that they they might actually get a pick in that is, and then I think at this, like Josh Hart is a player that would be extremely interesting to a lot of contenders. I think like that's a, if you're trying to do like a multi-stage move to kind uh-huh. of jumpstart a rebuild, like Josh, Josh Hart would be, um, you talk about the kinds of guys you can't have enough of in the playoffs, yep. a, a, athletic nose for the ball guard who can, you know, who maybe isn't the best shooter, isn't the best player, can do a little bit of that. You know, I think we see every year that those guys become very useful to have on 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 your squad in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I mean, definitely so, got Seth, a ton of calls on Josh Hart. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Patrick, God, we could uh, we could answer uh, Tim. What do you? Uh, um, what is your fancy? There we go. Uh, my fancy as a Celtics fan is to uh, make them a little more watchable again. Uh, and, you know, I, Hollinger wrote a piece recently 
with Jay King looking at a couple point guard options. Didn't I, you know, I was, I didn't love any of those options, but I, there's just not a ton out there right now. Um, is there any chance someone like, well, A, for Seth, what type of player, I guess, if you could, that would, you know, obviously Chris Paul would be great, but he's not someone they could get. Someone that they could feasibly get that would, <laughs> would kind of unlock those guys. And then um, for for Jake, you know, is that type of player or that particular player available? So someone like Orlando has a lot of guards. If if Boston threw a couple of first-round picks or something at them for Cole a Anthony. A couple? Oh, oh, for Cole Anthony, wow. Or something like that. Is that like what – That that's basically how do we make Boston more interesting, I guess. So the the I'll 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 take the first part about like like okay you're not going for a star point guard and I I would be shocked if this player is available but he's just I think uh, uh maybe an archetype above it is is even just like a a Tyus Jones kind of player would be um you know a solid def- very solid defensive as in a team concept uh doesn't need to always have the ball uh but can can run an offense very confidently and get 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 players involved and then i think that reduces the ball handling pressure on on Tatum and Brown enough so that they, they actually get shots for for Aaron Smith get get rolls to the rim for Robert Williams and all kind of all the things that we we don't see enough of uh from Boston because of I, like again it it makes it sound like I'm I'm too down on them to say the limitations of Tatum and Brown as as playmakers, but relative to kind of those those kind of top end star wings, they are lower. They're they're worse at playmaking than you know the Paul Georges and Jimmy Butlers and and those kind of players of the world. So someone who can who can pick up just some of that slack while also being kind of credible defensively and and uh, a decent enough shooter from the outside. And again, Memphis is too good and Tyus Jones is, is a is a you know, is a decent part of of why they're able to survive when John Morant isn't on the floor. So I don't <laughs> I I would be very surprised if he was available, but that's just in my mind like the the type of player that that exists. I don't like I don't know who that guy is out there. Is like is Howell Neto good enough to be that? I don't I don't think so. But he might, he might, he might help, and I would imagine he's available. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. What do you think, Jake? But what I'll say about Boston in terms of trying—I mean, they've definitely signaled that their goal here is to try to simultaneously. I mean, I think they'd like to get on the tax, of course, right? But they also have designs on trying to find some type of third piece, right? Like you're talking about a ball handler type guy, point guard, maybe. Um, but some, some third piece, um, like they, they, they checked in on Jeremy Grant, like I've written about in the past, um, some type of third piece, um, that can ultimately raise that, that the ceiling of, of this Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown foundation that obviously has had early success, but has not the last couple of years. Um, but it's been very clearly communicated to me from people I've talked to that, I mean, as much as Boston's made a lot of moves, right? The Kemba trade for Al Horford. Um, they go out and got Evan Fournier. Um, well, that was before he he uh, that was before Brad took over. But um, the uh, Wancho deal with San Antonio, like he hasn't really done anything that isn't that I wouldn't describe as conservative, right? Like everything's been kind of pretty 
low stakes. Um, so I'd be surprised if they sent out a first round pick right now for someone who isn't like someone they really think is going to help boost Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown into like a championship realm of, of competition, or at least into the top tier of the East. For now, the stuff I heard is, is them kind of seeing what Marcus Smart can get back and maybe if they can turn him into two players like that Kevin Herter, Cam Reddish package that I wrote about today. Oh, that makes sense. Um, anything else that, uh, again, I think I, I, we came in with such great uh, great ideas <laughs> about you getting to talk about all your favorite trades, and we immediately got back to Ben Simmons, so I'm sorry about that. But uh, is, there, is, there, is there, like, in, in what, is your, what is your favorite You've kind of heard floated to you now, and we'll get we'll get you out of here on this. Um, that's been actually floated to me. That it's my favorite. Um, a stumper. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll tell you one that's a favorite of mine that has not been floated to me. I'll tell you that. Um, Good enough. I I just think John Collins and Charlotte would be would be awesome. I think he'd be really fun lob threat for Lamelo. He can pick and pop also when he wants to leave those guys driving lanes. If they could do some fun stuff with Miles Bridges in the dunker, um, that that's I would love to see that versus the, the Hornets going the traditional center route, like just go full in seven seconds or less and turn John Collins into a three point shooting Amari Stoudemire. That's what I would love to see. Sure, let me actually. You you mentioned the Hornets, so let me let me have the last question and. Kind of, I I talked about like sort of my, like the, like Josh Hart as an example of a player type who can be useful for, for kind of title teams while not being a star himself. Um, Charlotte has one of those guys who I think could fit that bill, as does OKC. So, what are you, what, what can you about where PJ Washington or Kenworth Williams might end up? Um, I haven't heard landing spots for either of those guys. I mean, it would make a lot of sense that PJ was one of the outgoing pieces in, in Charlotte's overtures for Miles Turner and Sabonis. Um, I haven't like heard that confirmed, but it just seems pretty clear, right? They got to match salaries, and he's he's the guy being said to me that he's the odd man out in terms of having to pay Miles Bridges and Cody Martin upcoming. So, you know, you know it's by process of elimination, that would seem to be pretty clear. With um, Kenrich Williams, I just, I mean, a ton of teams have just asked me what, what the OKC asking price is all across the board. Uh, you know, you know, Cleveland, Sacramento, Minnesota, Atlanta. I mean, it just, I mean, I, I don't want to like limit it to those teams because he's just an interesting player that um, doesn't seem to cost too, too much in terms of, yeah, the first round pick, but also what you'd have to pay him eventually anyway. Um, so there's going to be a ton of teams interested. I'll, I'll just, I'm, I'm curious to see if anyone does pay that price. Sure. And it's also, I mean, the other thing about, about Williams is that, um, a lot of guys, some, when guys start to make kind of that, that, that over mid-level money, part of the reason that, that it, it gets harder to do deals is just to match salary, send out players who you would love. And even if they're not a valuable part of the deal, just mechanically, Whereas a guy like Williams, like you could, you know, a, a minimum contract or two, and then, yeah. and then it's it's sort of you, it's it's just a straight up addition, not not having to kind of do the math of, okay, we're sending this player out and getting this player back, just like adding a a good versatile like swing forward rotation player, and that's that. I think that's part of that, that's certainly part of why 
he would be attractive. Uh, but in general, I just think he's a a really solid winning player who does playoff useful things. There you go. Yeah. Well, Seth, thanks so much for having me on here, man. This was a lot of fun. No, thanks for thanks for joining me and uh, and and, and uh, take care of yourself playing pickup. It's, uh, it's a it's a rough oh. world out there. I appreciate that, but now you saying that it's making me. I'm knocking on wood that uh, that's going to be the dagger that does me in. But <laughs> no, I I appreciate the well wishes, man, and uh, hope all's well your way as we continue to get closer to February 10th. Yep, I know, and thanks for coming on, and folks. Uh, be uh I'll, I'll be back on saturday with my uh, normal q a so if you on twitter or uh in in dms and and i will answer them on saturday well, thanks to jake and thanks for everyone for listening take care